Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let me just take a moment and thank everybody for your prayers. We just uh, have felt the undergirding of the prayers of this body. My mom went home to be with the Lord Tuesday morning, and uh, she, her, her suffering's over. Her reward has been received. She is in the presence of God. It's what she labored her entire life for, and so we rejoice. We rejoice with her, and, but I want to thank you for praying for my wife and I, our family, and everybody. I love Faith Assembly because it's such a loving, caring body of believers. You guys are phenomenal, and so thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, aesthetics. Their philosophy, they've, they've, we've had aesthetics in, every, aesthetics in every generation who think that to be holy or to be uh, separated from the world is to withdraw from the world. And so what happens is they go to monasteries or they uh, shut themselves off or they go out into the desert or they hide and they do whatever they can because if they can get away from the world, that somehow will make them more spiritual. Um, a Syrian monk by the name of Simon sat on the top of a 50-foot pole, and that's how he spent his life. He would sit up on top of that pole because he didn't want any contact with the world around him. An Egyptian hermit by the name of Anthony lived out most of his days in the desert, and they thought in their minds that somehow they're being spiritual if they detached from this world. But how many know that's not what God wants us to do? And and there are times we need to retreat. There are times we need to get away. There are times we need to shut ourselves off with the Lord. But we never go up on the mountaintop to stay there. It should always be to inspire faith so we can go out and serve him in the valley. God wants to serve him in the world. He wants us to engage our world, not withdraw our world, because we are to shine as lights in the universe. And that's that's what Paul's going to talk about when he writes the Philippians. He says, shine like lights in midst of the darkness. So let's stand together. We're going to read it. We're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to stay right here in this text for the entire message today. So just stay right here with me in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll begin with verse number 12. As we're looking about how we can have joy. He's going to hit and talk about it even today. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. I thank you, God, for all the light that you shine through us and all the shining stars in this sanctuary today. And I pray, God, as we hear the word, you'll make it a reality to our hearts, our minds, our spirits. We love you, God. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone and tell them they look a lot better after that extra hour of sleep, and then you may be seated. I started with verse number 12, 
In verse number 12, it opens with the word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it? What is it therefore? Why is that connecting word placed in there? What he's doing is connecting with all he talked about in the first part of chapter two. And what's he talk about? And Jason preached eloquently last week, brought a marvelous message about the mind of Christ. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, did not regard equality with God as something to be equal or attain, but he, he became of no reputation so that he might give himself for us. Uh, but because he did that, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name. That what? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, because Jesus died, because he gave his life for us, because he thought of us higher than himself and gave his life for us, and therefore because he rose again from the grave on the third day, therefore, work out your salvation. Wow, strong statement. What does it mean and how do we do that and how do we work out our salvation? I want to give you three things this morning that I think will help us to understand the meaning of those four words. Work out your salvation. First of all, we've got to be submitted to God's purpose. Submitted to God's purpose. And you see that in verse number 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, let me set the record straight right out of the gate. Some of you starting to get nervous. Oh, we can't work for our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. I see all, everybody getting nervous and worked up. First of all, that's not what he's talking about. He is writing this letter to the church of Philippi. He opens up verse number one of chapter one to the saints of God at Philippi. There's an assumption that those who are in that church, those who are a part of the body of Christ, they're already saved. They've already been born again. They already know the Lord Jesus Christ. They are already Christ followers. So when he talks to them about working out your salvation, he's not talking about a means to earn your salvation. You can never earn your salvation by works. You're saved by grace and grace alone. Nothing you can add, nothing you can do can add to your salvation. You cannot earn it. You will never, ever be good enough. So what does the word mean to work out your salvation? It means now, because Christ is in you, we live out of that Christ life and it works out in us. It becomes very evident to the world that I am a new creation. I'm a new person in Jesus. I'm not like the old person I used to be. I'm a new creature in Christ. Therefore, I live out of that Christ life in me. That's the working out of my salvation. That is what the rest of the world sees. The work was used when they would mine ore out of a mine. And so you go down to a gold mine or silver mine or whatever it is, and then you try to get as much ore or metal, precious metal, out of that mine you can possibly work out. And so it is. God wants to work out all the potential that is inside of your life so you can do the very best for the kingdom of God. Work it all out. It's also used, the word was also used to work the fields. And so you would work the fields so it would yield the greatest harvest it could possibly produce. And he even talks about that in some of his other parables. Some, some yielded 30-fold, some yield 60-fold, and some yield 100-fold. So when it talks about God working out your salvation, it's about your growth and development and your life surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that we can produce a crop of 30, 60, or 100-fold. Working all that God has for you in us. 
Our life has tremendous potential like that mine or that field and God wants us to work out in us so that we can serve his good purposes. He says in verse number 13. And the purpose of God is that we would be conformed into his image. That we would be made like him. That we would become more and more like Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Even as we are working out our salvation, we're still not doing that ourselves. Not only can I not save myself, I can't even work out my own salvation in myself, but it's the Holy Spirit working through me. Is that what I'm saying? He saves me by his grace. He keeps me by his grace. His Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and so I live the Christ life out of the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. I can't even do that on my own. Turn to Ephesians 2, and he talks about uh, that very process and how it works. And he covers the whole thing here. He starts in verse number 8. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Saved by grace. Through faith, grace alone. It's his gift that no one can boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship. God is working inside of us. We are simply earthen vessels. We hold that treasure that is the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Saved by grace. But out of that salvation comes a life that glorifies God and does good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's our purpose. That's our function in life, to be God's workmanship, to do good works for his kingdom. Now, how do we do that? He tells us two things in in this scripture right here. First of all, he says we're to do it with a couple of things. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds pretty ominous. Uh, It's not a kind of a fear, a frightening fear, where if I don't do something just right, God's going to smash me on the spot like a bug or zap me like a lightning, or whatever he's going to do. It's not that kind of fear, but it's a reverential love and fear for who God is. It's about his holiness and his majesty and his glory, and because he's a good, good father, I just want to please him in my life and in everything I do, and I want to glorify the Lord, and any fear there might be would be displeasing my Lord and Savior who gave his life for me. And so I, I, I serve him with reverence and a holy fear for who God is because he's done so much. Uh, it's, it's like he says in Romans. He said, because of all God's mercies and all God's grace, what do I do? Therefore, present your bodies back to him. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And then he says, you do it with reverence fear, but he says, when you're, when you're working out your salvation, do it without complaining and grumbling or arguing. Don't do it with complaining and arguing, verse number 14. Now, there's a, there's a word in the Greek language for argue. And it's, the, it's where we get our English word from, dialogue. Now, I know dialogue's cool, and we want like to sit around and dialogue with each other, and we reason with each other, and we talk with each other, and we try to rationalize and get our point across and express our views. And so we have what's known as a dialogue with one another. But that doesn't work good with God. We don't argue with God. We don't complain with God. 
We don't resist God's will. We don't try to usurp our will over his. We don't try to justify ourselves or prove our point with God. Dialogue with God is not necessarily a good thing. Because he's Lord, I listen and I do what God wants me to do. My life is about serving him because he's now the Lord of my life. So I don't argue with him and I say, God, I don't really want to do that. I don't feel like saying that. I don't feel like doing what you want me to do. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to follow you. And we rationalize. We have all these reasons. uh, And so we carry on this argument with God. And that's not a good thing. So he says, work out your salvation, but don't argue along the way. Don't fight me every step of the way. Don't fight my will every step of the way. Surrender to me and obey me. Without arguing. Now, now what happens is when the arguing becomes external, it becomes complaining. So the arguing happens in our mind with God. We reason, we rationalize, we justify. We this mental warfare. We go through these mental gymnastics in our brain, in our mind. But when we begin to complain, it comes out of our mouth. And now everybody around us hears what's going on. We go public with what we're thinking in our heart and our mind. And so he says, when you... Work out your salvation when you submit to your purpose that I have for you, the plan I have for your life. Do it without arguing and without complaining. He's writing to the church. This is not unsaved people he's talking to here. He's talking to us. Talking to those in Philippi. He's talking to every single one of us. How's that work? Let me me give you an illustration from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. It's a very interesting parable about a landowner who would go hire workers for his field. And he goes early in the morning and he hires a bunch of day laborers and he says, come work in my field. And so what do they do? They go and they start working all day long because they need the money, they want to get paid that day, their family's hungry. He goes about noontime and he hires a whole bunch more workers and he puts them in the field. And then he goes about four or five o'clock in the afternoon, one hour left of daylight, and he hires another guy standing out there all by himself, left alone, left behind, but still very hungry. And he hires him to work in his his field. He gets lines them up. He gets ready to pay those guys at the end of the day. And he gives the first guy the agreed upon amount, a denarius. And he gives him that denarius for working one hour. What happens though, the rest of the guys in the line, what do they begin to do? They begin this dialogue with God and they're doing the math in their head. And they're saying, Oh boy, when he gets to me, I'm going to get 10 denarius because I've been here 10 times as long as that last guy that came along. I'm going to be loaded. I'm going to carry home a pot full of money, even though he told them they would get one denarius. But they're arguing. They're debating. They're, they're going through all this. But he goes down to every single person, gives them the exact same amount, one denarius. And what do they do? Their their reasoning in their mind, their arguing in their mind now becomes complaining. And it says in verse number 11 of Matthew 20, when they received it, they begin to grumble against the landowner. We begin to grumble against the landowner. We begin to grumble against God when we think we are entitled for something and we don't get it. And we get mad and we don't get our way, and we don't get all we thought coming to us, and we see somebody else getting blessed, and we see somebody else prospering, and we say, God, why them and not me? We do it. I do it. We grumble against God. And God says, when you're working out your salvation, when you're living out of that Christ life, do it without arguing and without grumbling. Grumbling. 
And yet we murmur and complain and we gripe and we grumble. And we say, you know what? I've been in this field a whole lot longer than that guy. That guy gets to serve and he gets to do this and you've blessed him and all this. And I've been in this field all this time and all you think about is the guests and newcomers and lost people and I don't get enough love in this church and I'm out of here. Grumble, gripe, complain. Grumbling was that reoccurring sin with the nation of Israel. Ten different times recorded, and we only have ten recorded times. It probably represents a whole lot more. But when they're out there in the wilderness, they grumble. They grumble the entire time. They're in Egypt, right? And they're working. And then they get mad because Moses comes and says, let my people go. And they got to make bricks without straw. And they grumble and murmur and say, we are working harder than ever. How can I make these stupid bricks? I have no straw to make it with. They're getting beat all the time. And they grumble and gripe. So what does God do? Opens the Red Sea, takes them across on dry land. They get out there about two or three days. They start really getting thirsty. What do they do? Grumble, gripe, complain. Man, you got us out here. We're going to die here. We're going to die of thirst. They grumble all over again. So God gives them water. They say, we're getting really hungry, God. We're going to die. We're going to starve to death. And they grumble and gripe again. You owe me, God. Take care of me. We're your covenant people. Don't you know who we are? We're the good guys. And he gives them manna. Now manna, every morning you get up, manna, it's there, food for the day, all the nourishment you're ever gonna make. What do they do? Grumble, where's the meat? Where's the beef? It's just like us. And, and, and he takes them through this wilderness and he takes them through this desert and they grumble for 40 years, 40 nights, and they grumble, give us a new leader. We don't like Moses. We'd rather have these other guys. Datham and Abiram, give us those guys. We don't want Moses to be our leaders. Grumble and gripe, give us a new pastor. You got a loser now. Need a new pastor. Give us more water. They're giants in the land. We can't take the land. We know you meant for this to be our land, but do you see how big those dudes are? You see how big their walled cities are? And they grumbled every single step of the way. The problem is God blesses us. He sets us free. He takes us out of bondage. He delivers us. He takes every sin away. He is our provider. He is our source. He is our everything. But we argue with God and we complain. God says, I'm working my purposes out in you. I, I, wanna, I want you to work out your salvation. Do it with a little reverence and respect. And by all means, keep your mouth shut and just do what I tell you to do. Mm, mm, did I just say that? Yes, I did. When God speaks, we trust and we obey without arguing and complaining because our Father knows best. He knows what's best. Your journey won't be like someone else's journey. Your path won't be like someone else's path. God will take you through a different route, a different way. But trust in me. Trust in me. I'm a good, good father. Mm. Second thing he says, he says, if we're going to work out our salvation, we've got to be conformed to his image. We've got to be made like him. That's, that's the, at the heart of the purpose of God for our lives. He wants to change us, conform us into his image, to be like Christ. Look at verse 15 again. 
Let me read it to you. Find it here. Oh, here it is. It says, so that you may become blameless. Everybody say blameless. blameless. And pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Tough world in which we live. In which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, he, he says we live in, trying the Philippians, the Philippian church, you live in a crooked and depraved generation. How many would say it sounds like America today? I, I don't know about you. I look around. I see the news. I see what's going on around us. It seems like this is a little bit like the world in which we live today, a crooked and perverse generation, a depraved generation. This world is about pleasure. It is, a, it is about sexuality. Is it about, it is about lasciviousness? It is about lust. Is it about greed? It's about anger. It's about vengeance. It's about junk. This world is a mess. And, you know, you can look at the news and you can get depressed. We're talking about joy, the art of joy, and and, and the way you find that joy is in Christ Jesus. And if you're looking for joy in the world, it will always leave you coming up short because the joy of the world is always a passing joy. And it comes and it's fun for a weekend, it's fun for a day, and then it's gone. And I can just make it till the next weekend to party a little bit more. You don't find it. You don't have it. It seems so elusive. Here today, gone tomorrow. Anchor to that which is permanent, Christ Jesus, our Lord, and so we anchor to him. Now, listen, God is not against success. He's not against wealth. He's not against stuff. He's not against toys. He blesses his children in many, many different kinds of ways. But the joy comes not in our stuff, The joy comes in serving the Lord. The joy comes in Christ Jesus. And that joy is better than anything else this world has to offer. Now, here's what he's saying is one, this world's pleasures and the world's ways stand in opposition to the word of God. You have got to make a choice. And he says, while you are alive in this world that is filled with so much sexuality and perversion and wickedness and crookedness and dishonesty, while you live in this world, you're to set yourself apart by being what? Pure and blameless. Pure and blameless, okay? Believers can be successful. We ought to be leaders in our community. We ought to influence our society. Joseph was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh, and yet God raised him up to literally save the entire nation. He's probably the second richest man in the land of Egypt, definitely the second most powerful man in the land of Egypt. Abraham probably was the most wealthiest man in his generation by far. And you read all that God blessed Abraham with. And you read about David, the the great king, and King Solomon, and some of those kings that God blessed. But personal success is never to be our chief ambition in life. Rather, is how can I fulfill the purposes of God for my life? And if God blesses you, I use those blessings to fulfill his purposes through me and in me. And so I become like the Apostle Paul. We say, whether to eat or drink or whatsoever I do, I do it all to the what? Glory of God. I'm here to glorify God. That's my purpose and the chief end of my life. But it's in that I find pleasure. I find a pleasure that is permanent that nothing else can ever, ever take away. 
In the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, then believers stand in stark contrast to the environment all around them. And so he says, two things will set you apart. One, he says, I want you to be blameless. Blameless. It literally means above reproach. Doesn't mean you're sinless. Doesn't mean you won't blow it. Doesn't mean we don't stumble and fall along the way, along the way in our journey. It will happen. But it means that when the world looks at us, they can't find anything to accuse us with. There ought to be a difference between our lives and the the world's life, and so we're beyond criticism. The word pure was a word that was used for wine that was not diluted. So if you had pure wine, it was not mixed with a lot of water, um, watered down. It was also used for metals. You get the word integrity also from this thought of pureness, integrity, that the metal is not mixed with other metals, thus weaken the structure and strength of the metal itself. It is solid, it is one piece, it is integral. Okay, it has integrity. In other words, he's saying there should be nothing in the church that weakens or contaminates the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I stand up and talk about the love of Jesus Christ, am I loving you? Am I loving others? Are we blameless in that area? How do we do? The church is filled with disputes and arguments and division. We are not blameless. We are unattracted to believers. Do we live with honesty and integrity in our business dealings? Or are we crooks looking to rip somebody off, looking to take advantage of others? Do we say one thing and do another? Or are we people and men and women of our word? When we say something, people know they can count on us because we keep our word. Do we guard our eyes and our hearts from the onslaught of moral impurity? You know, if you took those two words, blameless and pure, and you wanted to put a picture by those words to, do, to show who, they, who was blameless and pure, I, the, the one name who comes to mind is a guy by the name of Daniel. Daniel was somebody who was blameless and pure. He lived that way. Now, keep in mind, Daniel lives that way in the midst of crooked and perverse Babylon. He has been in Jerusalem. He is taken captive into exile into Babylon. It is an idol worshiper nation. It is a hedonistic nation. It is very impure, immoral idol worshipers. The worst of the worst are the Babylonians. And right in the middle of that is Daniel. And because he is so honest, he is so trustworthy, he keeps getting promoted. And now the Bible tells us that he's one of the top three guys underneath the king in all of Babylon. And, 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 and they, the guys that are them are jealous. They're saying, we've been here forever. They bring this foreigner in, and now he's ruling over us. And God blesses them with influence and position. And, and they get mad, and, and they, they say, let's, let's try to trap them. Let's see what we can get against them. And here's what it says in Daniel 6, 5. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Wouldn't it be great if they said that about us? Can't find anything wrong with him. I've watched his life. I've seen his life. I've seen him at work. I've seen him deal with people. I've seen him in all his business. I've seen him with his family. I have seen him, and I can't find a charge against him. The only thing I can get against him is he prays a lot, reads the Bible a lot, worships the Lord a lot, loves Jesus. Wow. Blameless and pure. That's what that word is all about. 
That's what the world is looking for. Because of that, he paid a price. Persecution, opposition came against him. But God comes down and delivers him out of the mouth of lions. The third thing is also found in verse 15. If we're going to work out our salvation, then he describes us as being now lights to the rest of the world. Lights shine in the universe. Uh, We can bemoan and this crooked and perverse generation, or we can become lights in the darkness and begin to make a difference. We're good at talking about how bad things are. Ah, oh, man, this is really bad. I don't like this guy. I don't like the way they're doing that. Don't like, don't like this person. Don't like that person. And, and we, we gripe and we grumble and we complain and we talk about it. But he said, let your light shine like stars in the universe. What an incredible description. Now, John 17 The Bible says we're no longer of the world. But he says, I did not take them out of the world. I have left them in the world that they may be one and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's in his high priestly prayer. So he leaves us intentionally in the world to be lights. You ever wonder why when I gave an altar call, you come down and kneel and you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Bam, you're not taken to heaven. God leaves you here intentionally. So we can work out his purposes so we can eventually take as many people with us as possible. Shining like lights in the darkness. Transform life is the most effective, powerful witness to the power of God. You know, when they see the the new you, it's not the new improved you, it's a entirely different you. The old man's gone. We haven't just improved the old man. We haven't done behavior modification and made him act and look a little bit better. We haven't tried to civilize the demon-possessed man. He's new. Demons are gone. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm a a new person. And when the world sees that stark contrast, he says, you shine like lights in the universe. Wow. Our mindset as a church cannot be a fortress mentality. It's not hiding out in the four walls of this building and just hanging on until the Lord comes back. It's not storing up guns and ammunition and hiding in the mountains somewhere, waiting for the great apocalypse to occur. There's nutty people out there. I'm telling you, they're nuts. They will line up groceries in their pantry. I mean, they got enough to last them five years. I don't know where they think it's going to happen. I, I don't know where they're coming from. Or what's going on? And they, they stock up on guns because the Russians are going to invade us. I, I don't know if that's a, a threat anymore or not. But I, I don't know if it's North Korea. I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm getting off subject. I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't hide in the church and survive in a depraved world. We are called by God to influence our culture and influence those around us. He says in verse 16, holding out the word of life. We shine like, the, like, like, the, like in the darkness, like stars, holding out the word of life. We've got the answer. Matthew says, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. Now you say, pastor, I can't do that. That's impossible. I can't live like that. There's no way I can do all you're talking about. And you're right, you can't. It's an abandonment to Christ. It's Christ living his life through you. That's the key to your joy. That's the key to you living out his purposes. You cannot do that in your own strength. 
You're saved by grace, but you're also kept by grace, and you live every day of your life by grace. Can't do it without him. It's Christ living in you. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to go to verse 17. I didn't read that. Everybody look. Look at the screen or look in your Bibles there. I didn't read this earlier. I wanted to save it for the end. He says in verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering. Now I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. Very colorful expression. Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad And rejoice, there's that word joy again, rejoice with all of you so that you too may be glad and rejoice with me. Paul used a very picturesque expression here. In the the Greek and Roman times, they had altars and they would offer their offerings to their gods. And one of the ways they would close down or shut down an offering many times, they would take a glass of wine. They would take a glass of wine and they would pour it out over top of that burnt offering, that burning coals of fire and whatever the offering was left there. And they would pour the wine over top of that. Now, you know what happens when liquid hits hot coals. As soon as the liquid hits the hot coals, steam goes up. Liquids burn up, turns into steam. You ever ever sit in a sauna and and it's it's just... You're in there and you take some water in there with you and you want to get that thing really hot, what do you do? You take a little water and you pour it over those burning coals and the steam fills the room and the temperature goes up about five degrees. And you say, boy, now I'm really sweating. Like that's a lot of fun. But now I'm really sweating. And so, and so he says, I am being poured out on the sacrifice like an offering. He says, I'm offering myself up for you. He says, I'm doing this and I want, don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to cry. Don't want you to get upset. I want you to rejoice with me. Share in my joy of being poured out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is my life. This is all that I am. This is all that I care about. I want to give my life in service to God. I mean, poured out. It's for your faith. It's for your growth. For your development, it's for you. So don't cry. Rejoice. I'm giving my life away for something greater than myself. Now, every child of God is called to that. I don't think you see it any stronger than in the life of the Apostle Paul. But every single child of God is called to that. I'm in Rome. My life will soon be offered up on a Roman altar. But it is all for your faith. Even impending death could not rob the Apostle Paul of his joy. Rejoice, rejoice. And it said it in Philippians 4 4. And again, I will say it rejoice. You see, you see what happens in our life is our biggest struggle is our unwillingness to give up control. We want to be in charge, we want to be in control, we want to call the shots, we want to argue. But when I give up myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, I abandon my will 
to his will. And I say with Paul, to live is Christ. We make our plans. We dream our dreams. We work for their fulfillment. But complete trust in God involves letting go of this world, letting go of my life, and giving it over to Jesus Christ. And I say, God, you're in control. I will obey you. I don't argue, not complain. Work it all out in me. Somehow, God. And so I pour out my life. I don't need to control my future. Bible says in 1 Peter, but you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people called to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, I'm, we're, 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 it's the priesthood of the believer. I, 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 just last week, celebrated the 500th year of Martin Luther's posting the thesis on the Wittenberg door. He never gave his life as a martyr, lived out his life, wrote, rewrote most of the Bible in the language of the people so they could have the language in the German language, rewrote the scripture, led the Protestant Reformation, uh, had some problems, as we all do. But he said there's one priesthood, one word, one God, one Lord, one way of salvation is only through grace. Through grace alone we're saved. Through grace alone we're saved. And he, he recaptures that for the church at a great price. He had been in the Catholic Church, saw the indulgences, saw the abuses that were going on, saw, the, saw all that was happening, the, the worship of, of uh, statues and images and things like that. And he, he broke away from that. Poured out his life. Poured out his life that we might have life. We are, and one of the things he said was, it's the priesthood of the entire believers. Now, I don't have to go to a priest and confess my sins. I now am a priest under God, and now I confess my sins to Jesus Christ, the only mediator of my faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator, one mediator between God and man. And so as a part of his priesthood, what can I give to God? The only thing I can do is offer up myself as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is my spiritual act of worship. And in verse 18, it all comes back to joy. So you too will be glad and rejoice with me. You want joy? Give your life away. Give your life away to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.